Hey, good morning, Illuminate. Great to see you all today. Uh, special welcome to those of you who are with us for the first time. So glad that you uh, have joined us. Also want to give a special shout out to the guys from Team Challenge that are with us. I know you guys tune in online, but it's always great to, better to have you guys in person, in the room. You just say that, you know? So I need to begin by giving a quick public service announcement. Uh, several of you, actually more than several of you, received a text message from Pastor Jason Fritz this last week asking you to buy gift cards for shut-ins. Well, that wasn't the real Pastor Jason Fritz texting you, okay? Uh, let me make it clear. I would not uh, text you or email you asking you to do uh, anything like that. I, I wouldn't contact you and ask you to pick up some communion supplies from Total Wine. Wouldn't do anything like that, okay? I'm just trying to stay ahead of the game because they're getting good, you know? The email thing they've done, the texting, that was a whole next level stuff. So, anyways, don't like the fact that they're, that they're taking advantage, right, of us. So, um... I uh, prayed a special curse upon them. So anyways, they'll see God someday. All right, so this morning, I'm super excited because we're going to continue what we've been talking about as a church-wide transformational journey. We started last week, began rolling out the future vision of the church. Three words we use to describe it, bigger, smaller, deeper. Uh, for more information, you can check out this little brochure here uh, that gives you an overview. But when we talked about uh, bigger last week, what we're talking about is expanding our influence, having a greater influence for the kingdom of God. We want to be able to accommodate all those whom God is bringing across our doorstep. You know, we purchased the building a couple of weeks ago, so that enables us to expand our uh, footprint here inside the shoe. We're very, very thankful for that. We've been saying all along that where God guides, He provides. That has been the history of our church since day one. And we have this promise given to us by Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. He's having a conversation specifically with one of the disciples, a guy named Peter. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. The rock is not the man Peter, as we talked about last week. Peter goes on <laughs> to, uh, to deny Jesus not once but three times. Shortly after this conversation, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. No individual man forms the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is Jesus and who he said he was, right? That's the statement that Peter made. You are the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Messiah. That's when Jesus said, upon this rock, that statement, me, me, I'm going to build my church upon myself. That's what Jesus was talking about. So we have this promise. So then we would expect the church to grow. And by the grace of God, he has been expanding our borders and our numbers. Now let me be quick to say, it is not about numbers. What it's about is discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gave you your purpose for being on this planet. He said, go and make disciples. We'll talk more about what a disciple is, but that's why we have these three words, bigger, smaller, deeper. We talked about bigger, expanding our influence for the kingdom of God. But if we're going to get to the deeper disciples, there's this second thing that has to happen. See, you, you can't really make disciples without getting small. A really weird thing happens as a church grows. People can come in and they can actually feel more disconnected. It sounds counterintuitive. You think, oh, there's so many more people to meet. No, 
people can come in and they can be a little bit more anonymous. If we're going to make disciples, we've got to take what's bigger and break it down into smaller. So five years ago when we started the church, we needed a name. And like I said last week, we've always loved those metaphors of light in the Bible. Jesus describes himself as the light. But then he says to his followers, you, he says, you see, you're also the light. In fact, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. We've always wanted the church to be that lighthouse in our community, a gift to the community, and by God's grace, that's what's happening. We are going beyond our walls. These aren't just words, okay? These aren't just words. This is what Jesus has called us to do. And so as we've been true to these things, God has been adding to our number. But we've always wanted to... Well, let me put it to you this way. The word illuminate literally means to make visible by shining the light. Again, from day one, we have wanted to make Jesus visible. We've wanted to make him known. That's why we always have and we always will shine the light on Jesus. Illuminate. When I was uh, about the same time, almost five years ago, I was in downtown Phoenix, and uh, I was walking by this restaurant, and on the outside of this wall, it had a big brick wall, and on the outside, these massive letters, and it spelled out one word. And the word was community. And I thought, that's so good, right? Community, because what is community? Community describes a group of people that have something in common. Now, Christians have the greatest community of all because the thing that we share in common is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The thing that unites any community will determine the quality of that community. That's why it doesn't get any better for us. When unchurched people are given a list of church words, they rank the word community at the top. Why is that? Because everybody wants and needs community. They want to feel like they're a part of something. They belong to something, especially if that something is bigger than themselves. So growing smaller is all about growing community. And here's what I found, and maybe you you sense this is true too. Christians spend a lot of time talking about what you need to know, right? Kind of like information download. Some Christians are really good at that. What you need to know is this. But what we don't spend a lot of time talking about is who you need to be with. You see, if we can get Christians engaged in smaller, gospel-centered, tight-knit communities, that is the spiritual soil that allows our roots to grow deep. And this was the pattern of the early church, Acts chapter 2. Every day... They, the church, continued to meet together in the temple courts. It's important for the church to come together. The word ecclesia, so we get our English word for church, it literally means gathering. There is no church unless there is a gathering. So they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So this is a large gathering. While they were in the temple courts, we read that the apostles opened up the scriptures and they taught. But notice this. They took what was big and they broke it down and made it small. They broke bread in their homes. Most people didn't have huge homes back in the day. You could accommodate a small group, and they ate together. And look what this fueled. Glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And as a result of this, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yeah, because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Now... Full disclosure with you all, 
years ago, I was the guy that didn't see the need to be in a in close community with other Christians. Part of that was my own, um, it, there were my own issues. And what helped me overcome that was the simple realization that Jesus was in a small group. And if it was good enough for Jesus, probably good enough for me. Question, why would Jesus involve himself in a small group? Well, the answer is simple. And it goes back to the very beginning of God's design. Remember, Jesus is the example in all things. So it's really fascinating. You read the, the, the creation account, Genesis 1, 2. God creates, and he declares things good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, God says, time out. In all of my creation, there's something that's not good. And the very first not good of creation as declared by God, you know what it is? The first not good of all God's creation. God looks at everything and says, good, 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 good. Then he looks at the thing and says, uh-oh, this isn't good. We have something we have to fix. You know what it is? He said, it is not good for the man to be what? He's by himself. And, and he sets Adam up for this because he parades all the animals in front of him and Adam names them. But he was alone. And so what does God do? He creates Eve who cures his loneliness. You see, if you try to go life on your own, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be lonely. So Jesus, recognizing that it's not good to be alone, he even surrounds himself with this group of disciples, but even in the midst of this group of disciples, it appears that he has three that he is especially close to. In fact, there's this moment in Jesus' life that is, I'm just so thankful we have it in the Bible because it helps me understand the heart of Jesus and what he went through. It also helps describe his humanity, in my opinion, perhaps more than any other text in the Bible. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he fully knows all that's in front of him. He knows the, the physical pain that he's going to endure, but that wasn't quite as intense as that moment where he experiences some kind of separation from the Father and he utters on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, he knows what's in front of him. It's just a few hours away. Matthew 26, we read this, Then Jesus went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, now you guys just sit here and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pray because that's what we do in times of extreme pressure in life. But then he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The Bible describes Jesus as a man of constant sorrow. How many people in the room carry some kind of sorrow with them right now? Okay, Jesus is being vulnerable here. Vulnerability is okay. How many people carry sorrow with them right now? How, how many of you, let's see, let's make sure we get it right. How many of you have some troubles right now? 
Thank you. Okay? Jesus understands. Jesus is, this is not some cosmic genie, some distant God. This is not the capricious God of uh, every other uh, worldview, <laughs> right? This is not the capricious gods of our friends who practice Eastern mysticism or faith, okay? This is a God who has come near in the form of a human, son of man, referring to his human, humanity, son of God, referring to his deity. Jesus wept. He felt the pain of relational loss. And, and now there's this, this is an intense moment, verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. How much so? Just, it's just like, uh, to the point of death. You know, we throw around the phrase, oh, I'm just, I, just, I just feel like I want to die. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Notice these words. With me. So he's got the group, sit here. You guys stay here, I'm gonna go over there and pray. And then he says to the three, you guys come with me. You get that? Come, w be with me, be with me. Can, can you just come alongside me in my time of sorrow? And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So. It's like, you, let's, let's say, you know, you're sharing a drink with somebody and whatever the contents of it, you're sharing it, you're drinking it, you're taking it in. That cup represents death, his crucifixion. And he's saying, okay, we're going to pass that cup around now. Now, now drink it, take that, take that death down. And Jesus is like, can I just have that cup pass from me so that I don't have to partake in it? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It takes tremendous strength to place yourself under someone else's leadership like this. Jesus spent his entire life submitting his will to the will of the Father. So you see that tension of his humanity here. Not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and they're asleep. And he says to Peter, so could you not watch with me just for like 60 minutes? Just for like one hour, could you not stay awake? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. All of a sudden, now Jesus puts on his... This is very pastoral because if you know what Peter is about to face, it's like he's going to deny Jesus, not once but three times. And so he says, let me tell you something, Peter. You need this too. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. And you read the rest of the story, and he does. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How true is that? Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Perhaps Judas is off in the distance, and he can see the lights of those that are with Judas coming toward them in the garden. But, but this picture is really compelling because it's like Jesus wanted his best friends to be with him in his moment of hour. Jesus couldn't even carry his own cross by himself. No doubt there are really unique things that happen when we come together corporately as a church. I love listening to you sing. 
Sometimes there are moments when I'll just stop singing and I'll just ride your voices to the throne of God. Thank you for that. You can't get that in isolation. You can't get that by yourself. You can't get that experience unless you're shoulder to shoulder with each other. When we come into the room, there's this excitement that God is going to do something, that the Spirit of God is alive and He's working, He's moving through our people. There's something that happens when the people of God come together corporately, open their Bibles, sit next to each other, and the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to the people of God gathered together. You don't get that in front of a screen. You just don't. It's just not the same thing. There's also something powerful and unique when God's people gather together in more intimate and smaller settings. There's something that happens when you're face-to-face with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's like all of the theology that goes forth, all of the teaching that goes forth. You see, you can leave this place and never really wrestle with it in a way that changes you. Let me say that again. That might be the reason why some of you are where you're at right now spiritually. Because you get exposed to the scriptures, and you can even leave here being inspired. And you've heard me say a number of times, that is not my goal. My goal is not to inspire anyone. You can find inspiration out there in a lot of different ways. Inspiration is not the goal. What is the goal? The goal is application. And so what happens is it's in a smaller context where you're sitting across from your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're saying, all right, now, now we all have the opportunity to see that Bible teaching lived out, flesh and blood. We get to see it lived out in each other's lives. And there is something about that that is so incredibly powerful. So when we talk about bigger, smaller, deeper, ultimately we want to go deep. We can't go deep. That is, we really can't begin to understand what it means to be a disciple without engaging with one another in meaningful ways. Um, What we hear on Sunday has to be wrestled with throughout the week. You know, there's no room for you guys to challenge me on Sunday mornings. Well, you could, but that would be weird, you know, if you did it publicly. Don't, yeah, don't, don't do that. Um, but there's, there's no, you know, because some of the stuff that's taught, it's going to land with you in different ways. I know that because I look in your faces when I'm saying something. How do you work that out, guys? How's that really taking root in your life, getting to that point where it just begins to transform you? See, that's, that's the beauty of being able to say, hey, let me just tell you something that I'm questioning, that I'm struggling with. So there's a tremendous amount of self-discovery that happens when you get close to others in the Christian community. Um, <laughs> I hesitate whether to share this with you, but I'm going to. Uh, when I was <clears throat> in my 20s, myself and a group of my friends formed what we called Circle of Pain. I think there's a couple of guys in, in the room, maybe in this hour, in the second hour, that uh, were a part of that. <clears throat> the Circle of Pain, let me, let me describe it to you. Basically, our verse was Proverbs 27, 6. And it's a gnarly one. You know what it says? Basically, it says, you have plenty of people that will stab you in the back. As you go through life, you're going to carry all kinds of relationships. Some of those relationships are really unhealthy. You're going to have lots of people that stab you in the back. But what you really need is someone to stab you in the front. 
a good friend, a good friend will not tell you what you want to hear. A good friend will tell you what you need to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a what? Friend. So here's how it went down. We're all together, essentially sitting in a circle, and one at a time, each man would sit in the seat of honor. And the other guys, out of love, compassion, care, concern, we would speak into that brother's life. And and we would begin with this. Brother, these are the blind spots in your life. These are the things that we see that you don't see. And because we love you and because we're committed to you and your personal growth and your walk with the Lord, get ready because we're about to stab you in the front. And you couldn't reply. You just listened. And then we had one dude taking notes. This is yours. You You were blind, but hopefully now you see. And then we would flip it and we would say, now, these are all the things that we love about you. These are all the things that we affirm in you. And I'll tell you what. I think if you asked each one of those guys, they would tell you that those times were among the most beneficial, deepening, perhaps in their entire lives. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, pain avoidance is real, right? We spend most of our lives just trying to avoid any kind of pain. Jesus is the example in all things. He walks straight toward the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. He entered a really hard space. But it's in entering those hard spaces that real transformation occurs. See, some of us as Christians, we're really into pain avoidance. But what you got to realize is that pain, very often, is God's megaphone in your life. So everybody carries some measure of pain. You're not meant to carry it alone. Okay? You want good friends. Again, there's a strange thing that happens as the church grows larger. It becomes less connected. You would think the opposite would be true. With more people comes the opportunity to get more connected, but sadly that doesn't happen. Why? Because we spend more, talking, more time talking about information download than who we need to be with. So you have to work against it, and that's why we want to grow smaller. Jesus could have chosen any number of methods to, um, to apply uh, his earthly ministry. He could have transferred his ministry to one individual. He could have spent all of his time with one individual and said, okay, now I've invested all my time with you. Now, you go out and you invest yourself in one other person. He could have used a ministry model that simply uh, taught the masses, because he did definitely teach the masses. But you know what's interesting? There were many times that Jesus would leave the masses. He would actually leave them with some of their needs unmet. Some of the sick were left sick. And he would withdraw, go to a lonely, isolated place, and pray. And you know who's with him? His disciples. So his ministry model was to invest in a smaller group that would then obviously go on and change 
the world. Long-term, small group, primary strategy. So I want to give you really quick five important reasons to, I don't know how to say it better than this. <clears throat> Stop attending and start engaging. All right? Number one, in a small group, you're noticed. Some of you feel like no one notices you. Some people come to church and they're like, nobody did this, 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 and this for me. That's your problem. See, because uh, if there isn't some kind of effort to engage with the community, it, it's one of the pastors popped into my office before the services this morning and said, I just need to tell you about this couple. They're in the hospital. And he gave me a two-minute synopsis. And afterwards, I was so happy because that couple is in a small group. They have everything they need and more. They're super connected. They've been engaged. They've entered into vulnerable spaces. And in their time of need, real need, both in the hospital, they've been in the hospital for a while, their tribe, Jesus said, if you give anything up in my name, I'll give it to you a hundredfold. Our culture is full of tribalism. But the thing that unites you, the quality of that thing, will determine the quality of the relationship. There's a lot of tribalism out there in the world. I mean, the world wants to divide us by gender and all that means, sexuality and all that means. But let me tell you, there's some fierce tribalism going on in those two areas. So Jesus says, if you give that up, what I will give you in return will replace it a hundredfold. That's why the Christian community has to be the foremost community of love. Yes. Yes. Because when that happens, people are drawn and they're like, okay, I thought I had a tribe that was committed to me over here, but it's nothing like this Christian tribe. It's nothing like that. What I get over here, that's why the Bible describes the church as a family. In a small group, you're noticed. You're part of a tighter community. People know your name. They care about you. They're willing and able to support you when you need it most. Number two, in a small group, you become a leader. Uh, if the purpose of a small group is to grow to the point where that small group then becomes replicated because Jesus wants to build his church, the text tells us they met in large groups and they met in small groups, then it says that's, why, that's actually how the church began to grow. People wanted to be part of these, these genuine, intimate communities then we need leaders to lead these groups. So people will come in and, and, and they'll learn and, and they'll, 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 they'll be in a situation where they'll have to step up. And finally, at that point, they say, you know what? There was a time when I needed to be fed and, and I was fed, but now's the time that I need to feed others. Thirdly, small groups give you an extended Family. Some, some of us live, you know, a long, long way from our family. It was really sweet because over the last few weeks, because college is, start, is starting up, um, I met several students from GCU. Big shout out to GCU. <laughs> Lopes up. And it was sweet because you can tell that some of these kids who have moved hundreds of miles away from home to attend school in a really hot city, and they're far removed from their family. The church is a family. Small groups allow you to search and ask questions so that your spiritual roots can deepen. No one of us has all the answers to questions about God, Christianity, spiritual journey, um, 
church services focus on the information download, but there are these safe environments where you can ask questions and say, I'm really struggling with this. Um, I'm not sure how this or what this means to me in my life. Small groups provide advice and support. Scriptures say there is victory in an abundance of counselors. You get support on a wide variety of life matters. And ultimately, small groups help the church grow. It's been said that a dying man's words are among his most important. And so before Jesus leaves his disciples, we want to listen carefully to what some of his last words are. It's like, of all the things that I could leave you with, what, what do I want to tell you? Well, let me just remind you of why you're here. Christian, you were called to be a disciple, and you were called to make disciples. Period. Doesn't mean you have to go into pastoral ministry, because literally, Jesus says, as you are going, as you're going about your life, as you're living your life, as you're, as you're pursuing a career or a relationship or whatever it is, here's the thing to remember. You are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Ancient rabbis had a saying, a good disciple is covered in the dust of the rabbi's feet. Wherever the rabbi goes, the disciple goes. And then, the same is true with you. You make disciples. So, some of you are hesitant, and I, and I totally get that. I understand um, where you're at. Um, so, I want to introduce you to our friend Katie, and uh, I want you to take a couple minutes and, uh, and hear her story. My name's Katie Links. I was born and raised here in Scottsdale. Myself and my husband, we actually were set up on a blind date in high school. Bless his soul, he was not Catholic, but he went to church with me every single Sunday and just supported me in my journey with God. Um, after college, I actually started working at the building right across the street, which used to be Taser. It seemed like a natural transition to, hey, let's go check out the church across the street. One really defining moment for me was when I became a mother. Um, I think it's very difficult for at least me to understand what what did God sacrifice for us when he gave us his only son until you have a child. And then it's really the, the weight and how much that means to give everything that you love to this world for our sins. Um, so I think when I had my daughter, it was the spark of one, I want her to grow up in this relationship with God that I now have. But two, oh my gosh, my entire life, I didn't really realize how deep and powerful this love that God had for us was. From that moment on was really the time when it was, okay, we need to figure out how we're gonna continue moving forward and embrace everything that we have at our fingertips here. So when I chose to get baptized, it was really this, from that point forward, I knew this is what I meant to be. And so it wasn't the actual baptism that I think was so spiritually changing for me. It was that decision that I made back in April that I'm ready. This is my time. God's calling me. I, I am worthy. Um, because I think leading up to that, it was just this feeling of, why why me? Why would God choose me? I don't deserve to be baptized. I, why am I important to God? It really is something that it's, it's hard to not get emotional about. Through my small group and these incredible people, they really encouraged me and helped me find my worth with God. So I'm so excited that Illuminate's starting this bigger, smaller, deeper 
just because I hope that every member of Illuminate is going to get the opportunity to experience a small, intimate, really the fellowship of a small group and getting involved. It's something that drew me to Illuminate is this idea of it's constantly growing and it's building this community for our children and for the future generations. That's going to be really impactful. And I think just creating that intimate small group environment is going to be what keeps people around, what holds people accountable, and really what continues to push people in their faith. To all those people who don't like being in the spotlight, who don't want to take that next step because they're so scared, I get it, I was there, I'm one of you. <laughs> but it's taking that first step into making that decision of I want to get involved, I want to be a part of something that's bigger than me is what's going to change your life. It's going to be the thing that really helps God push you to where you need to be. God has my plan. I just need to trust that he has my plan and I need to follow it. Um, so I think from that moment forward of turning it all over to him, it's like you can just breathe. It's easier. It's I don't need to fight these battles. I have God on my side. He's the one who's going to fight them for me. I just need to trust him. I think if you were to... Uh... Sure, you can clap for Katie. I think if you were to ask Katie a few months ago if she ever envisioned herself even having this kind of voice to her church family, she would have gone, what? What? But that's just another part of how God is using her. She comes around, she gets baptized. Now, uh, her husband and her are, in, are engaged in a meaningful small group that's transformed their lives, and I really appreciate the fact that she was honest, honest enough to say, you know what, I was hesitant. I'm not sure if this is the right thing for me, but stepping into it, she's experienced the blessings of it. So we wanna make it super easy for you. If you're not connected, you can come to church tonight and join a small group. We have childcare, we're making it really easy for you. This is how important it is for us. This is the heartbeat of who we are. We talk about bigger, smaller, deeper, we talk about expanding our influence, but really it's all, it is all about following in the footsteps of Jesus. If that doesn't work for you, we've got men's groups, we've got women's groups, we've got groups for students that meet all during the week as well. We've got folks that are right out in the lobby, underneath that table, you'll see a sign that says bigger, smaller, deeper. All you do is you just say, hey, I have questions, can you help me? They would be more than happy to answer any questions you have. So Father, as we step into this next chapter, Lord, we wanna step into it well. We wanna be obedient to you, Jesus, in all things. We thank you for the pattern that you set down because all of the patterns that you lived out are the patterns for us, and they give us life. Lord, the enemy wants to keep us divided and separated. We come up with a million excuses. But Lord, in the end, Father, we want what you want for us because that is where real transformation occurs. God, I pray that you would speak to every heart in the room. I'm so thankful for those who are engaged, for those leaders that serve faithfully every week. Lord, they represent you well. Father, we ask it all so that Jesus Christ can be made famous. It's in his name that we pray. And God's people said, amen.